Welcome back. You're watching Stock Watch with me, Bright Kumalo. And tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Nick Krell from FNB Wealth and Investments and Merrill Pick from Old Mutual Investments. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS uh, to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Uh, Nick, Merrill, welcome to the show. I'll be making a, a joke about how people are still using SMS, but funny enough, that's where we're most active in terms of questions, so I can't make that joke. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. Can you give us a market wrap for, you know, local markets? I mean, uh, we, we, seem, we, we seem to be, you know, seeing a cool off here from uh, the reverse rally that we've seen in the past, what, four days of trading? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the, listen, the, the, the sort of potential game changer news this week has to come out of tomorrow, Jerome Powell talking at Jackson yeah. Hole. Um, and so until that point, I think everyone and most investors are kind of sitting on the sidelines to a large extent. Yeah. Um, you haven't seen volatility or, or, or rather the amount traded going through being, you know, stellar uh, in our markets or in global markets. I think everyone's kind of on tender, hooks, tender hooks, as it were. Uh, wondering what's going to happen uh, and what sort of direction the Fed is going to give us in terms of how aggressive they're going to be to try and sort of, um, you know, put a lid on the on, on, on sort of inflation and whether or not that's going to lead us into sort of a global recession. We can know from the previous time that he talked that um, he gave the market pause for thought there uh, and the market certainly took away that perhaps he wasn't going to be as aggressive as they were initially anticipating. And you've seen quite a significant sort of rally off the lows hit in mid-June. Um, but now with the, you know, I suppose financial conditions um, loosening to, to a large extent, you're probably going to have a look and see whether or not he's going to be as sort of market friendly in, his, in terms of his commentary or it's going to scare the market. And... Um, I'm certainly on tender hooks, waiting to see what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, and, and Meryl, I'm not quite sure what's going on here with OPEC+. Plus. I mean, Saudi Arabia coming out and saying that, you know, they'll be, well, they encourage, uh, you know, all these producers to, uh, you know, sort of slow down on the many barrels they're producing currently because they don't like the price currently. They, they liked it even more when it was higher. And, <laughs> and, 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 and the reason for it was very vague, something along the lines of, you know, volatility. I was like, what's that has to do with anything, you know? Uh, you're the producers, mm -hmm. give us oil, make sure that the, the price is right by, you know, increasing supply. But clearly they don't like that. For sure. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating space, right? Because, I mean, Biden was in uh, the Saudi Arabian kingdom yeah. about a month ago. And off the back of that, there were sort of, Promises, but if you examine them, not really not significant promises yeah. to increase production. So, that, so you could see this as a change, you know, a change of um, direction or rever yeah. reversing that commitment. Um, I think there's a few things at play. So clearly, the oil-producing nations would have taken a lot of fiscal pressure um, in 2020 when oil prices crashed. Um, I'm not sure to the extent that 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 those um, revenues have been replaced on a break even i think saudi arabia's budget can as a country can withstand 
$65 to $70 oil. So anything above that, they actually should be quite comfortable. Um, but also, as much as the OPEC Plus have been um, ratcheting up their, their targets or their quotas, um, over the last six months, they've actually been failing to meet those increased production exactly. targets anyway. So it raises question marks about actually how much spare capacity is, is really left. And then the big battle that's been raging since probably 2014, when the U.S. shale producers really um, took off, is this market share battle within crude. And I think um, OPEC Plus, led by Saudi Arabia, pretty much started a price war, if you will, yeah. during 2020, won back a lot of that market share, drove a lot of marginal shale producers out of the market. And we see though, though that shale oil volume starting to come back now. So I do look at that and wonder, um, you know, what what is the game here? Because the higher those prices stay, it actually just starts to entice shale producers back um, into the market. So I would have thought a, a slightly lower oil price that still suits the, the budgets of the OPEC plus nations would have been um, a more rational way to go. I mean, these guys are still profitable at $40 a barrel, right? Whereas shale guys are probably, you know, not going to rush into the market at that price. But I mean, like you're yeah. saying, we, you reminded us of 2020. I mean, that was a, a crazy time to be alive. We saw the Western Texas turning negative, or at least their futures. So that, that was yeah. a, a crazy time yeah. to be alive. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to explain that to my kids one day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into our questions for today. We'll start uh, with two very vague, well, not vague, but hard questions. Uh, one from Noah who says, good evening, Bright. Uh, can you please ask your panel uh, what the effect will be, uh, you know, from the Inflation Reduction Act that's recently promulgated, whatever, promulgated by the U.S. have on green metal producers like Core Lithium, given that EV automakers will get a tax credit, and what are the short to medium term implications? I mean, on top of that question, we have another one, which is asking about Invictus, which is another Australian stock. Um, from the SMS line. So I've got a lot of Australian stocks here for you, uh, uh, Nick, for this evening. <laughs> uh, right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks very much for that. Um, yeah, I suppose my, my, listen, my knowledge uh, of uh, small Australian miners is going to be pretty, pretty slim. So I'm not really going to talk too much about that. I think with regards to the Reduction Act, I mean, there's so many different moving parts that, that it's... Um, pretty tough to ascertain exactly what it's going to mean at a granular level um, for specific companies or even specific, um, you know, metals uh, overall. Um, I think, you know, the world is moving in that sort of right sort of direction where we understand now, uh, and specifically if you're European, um, having outsourced a lot of your sort of um, fuel requirements um, uh, is, you know, potentially, uh, it's, it's not a great sort of idea, right? So, there's certainly a lot of a move to to sort of move towards being greener on the one side, but then second to that, you know, localized production, understanding that one has sort of control of it into your own grid, so on and so forth, um, and and trying to you know get to get a lot of impetus going into those sort of industries. I think it's a it's a very interesting space, uh, notwithstanding the idea that it was a very interesting space, you know, the last couple of years, and really with uh, Russia Ukraine, um, you know, it got things got uh, sort of turned on its head. Uh, to a to a certain extent, so it's always 
you know, quite difficult to understand the longer term implications. I think the direction and the roadmap is certainly positive. Okay, uh, and obviously there's a lot of money to be made and lost, but if you look at the past couple of years, especially in, 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 in those battery metals, I mean, there's only been really one winner, which is um, something like a Glencore, you know, but that you can't really see the benefit from a company that big and diversified. So I don't know, man, it's, it's hard to call these things. And your thoughts, uh, Meryl? Yeah, look, um, it's a, the longer term story clearly is there towards electrification. I think we've seen over the last five years, most of the global car manufacturers coming out with, um, much like every oil producer comes out with 2050 net zero targets, all the OEMs have, you know, 20, 30, no more con combustible um, engines or something of that nature. Um, the, the, the maths that seems to be missing in the equation is um, the availability um, and the production levels um, of all the metals required um, to go into the batteries, lithium being one of them. So, um, you know, it's certainly... I can understand why someone would be bullish on lithium, even as it's quite strong, but to incentivize new you know, production and mines being built, the price would have to be, um, would have to be quite high. Sibanya was taking some small position in a, a lithium operation as well. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is how this evolves geopolitically because a lot of the rare earth minerals that are required for electric vehicles are um, the supplies dominated by China. So I think what we've, the world has been spooked now by obs not obscure things, but, but suddenly waking up to the fact that, oh, Ukraine produces 50% of sunflower oil, you know, which you, you never thought of before, mm -hmm. before this. Um, it suddenly brings to mind the, the risk of, of relying on um, unique niche commodities, um, from one country that's maybe not as stable as we thought it was necessarily that friendly. So I think that will also um, bring a new lens into how electric vehicles develop from here. How are we looking on offshore markets? I mean, second day of green. Hey, I never thought I'd be saying this, um, you know, after the week we had. Yeah, I mean, I think as Nick mentioned, um, the market is largely driven by um, inflation outlook, growth expectations, and interest rate um, expectations at this point. And I think um, offshore markets, certainly in the U.S., are starting to price in already interest rate cuts um, looking towards the back end of next year. So I think the market is pretty much saying, expecting inflation to roll over, expecting the Fed to soften their stance, um, and, you know, let the good times roll on again. I'm I'm not that sure, um, yeah, that, that I'm that bullish. Let's see what um, Jerome Powell says tomorrow. But I think the Fed doesn't even really look at the parts that are causing inflation to really be high at this point because they can't really control them, being mm. food inflation and, and energy prices. You know, So, yeah, they can control the housing market um, and demand for goods and services. But um, in the past, this is not, you know, the 1970s, but in the past, when inflation has really been a problem, it's been due to 
outside external forces which cannot be controlled like geopolitical issues and commodity so there's there's a it, it echoes a lot of that here so um i would be surprised if the fed did slow down and um if they elude to that tomorrow that they still intend to remain hawkish um you could see you could see some steam coming out yeah but i mean uh I mean, in that, even in that case, I mean, like you're saying, if you can't control the price of the commodity, input prices are still going to be higher, meaning food inflation is going to be there for longer. And uh, you know who's going to bear the burden of that. I don't have to be, you, you know, Mr. Buzzkill here. Um, we've got a question here from Eugene who says, can I have the panel's view on Sibanya Stillwater? With their, with their release uh, today of, you know, their first half performance, although they had a lot of headwinds all over, they still managed to pay a huge dividend and produce the healthy profit of 12.3 billion rands, way higher than what we saw last year. Uh, is this company a big buy? Um, Nick, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, Certainly not only Sibania Stillwater, but the whole sort of platinum complex uh, from a share yes. price perspective has significantly underperformed what the metal pricing has sort of done in dollars. Um, a lot of sort of froth has come out of that market and it is looking pretty beaten down. And I suppose the reality behind it, needs, you know, one needs to have some sort of idea on where these sort of prices are going to go, what sort of demand is going to is going to come come through for both platinum and palladium um obviously the sort of the elephant in the room comes through from rhodium uh, rhodium making sort of a lot of these companies super profits uh, you know last year etc uh, very small percentage of production but but massively cash generative for them um and depending on the outlook for for what actually happens to rhodium i think if we were to have a look at it now and say listen all else being equal um is the platinum sector a buy yes i would say it is um, having said that, at the moment, I still think that there can be some volatility around prices. Um, yeah. And then, you know, not too dissimilar to what we saw in 2016, when at that point, uh, commodity prices were under significant sort of pressure. In that sort of environment, uh, the actual costs coming through for these sort of producers was whittled down so that, that they made as much profit as they possibly could. Uh, and very similar, perhaps, to what actually happened during 2020 and 2021, uh, where, you know, costs were almost unsustainably low. And so what you are seeing now is still some pretty good top line growth coming through. But unfortunately, costs are, um, you know, growing beyond what your revenue sort of pickup is at the moment. And that looks to kind of continue. Um, on top of that, we have seen some sort of production issues and misses. And specifically with Sabania, uh, their Stillwater um, sort of acquisition, uh, that continues to give them sort of headwinds, uh, which is which is which is a bit of a worry, I suppose, for investors as a whole. I think look at it. Listen, um, if you have a look at the the share price, it is looking pretty attractive at these pretty much beaten down sort of prices. Whether it's a big buy, big letters, big, I'm not quite sure, but uh, in my <laughs> mind, it would be something interesting at these prices. Okay, interesting. You'd look at it uh, at these prices. I mean, it's trading. Uh, you know, at the same price it did in July 2020, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, after the, you know, the push up because metal, metal prices were running uh, at that time. I mean, um, Meryl, uh, I want to ask you, any varying thoughts and views maybe on the operational level uh, of, you know, a company like Stillwater and Sibanya Stillwater, sorry? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one where I've... Um 
you know, they've changed their strategy, I suppose, a few times from the original spinning out from gold fields, um, harvesting what's left of those um, assets and paying a very rich dividend or trying to maintain a, a, a strong yield. Yeah. I think they are at the moment on a, on a good um, yield. But if you look at the model has been kind of acquire something, strip out costs and get it to perform better, and then in a few years' time acquire something else. So I think the issue with Sibani is always are they – are they close to an acquisition? What would that acquisition be? What would they pay for it? Stillwater was a dilutive deal at the time. In hindsight, they timed the Palladium market very, very well. Um, and that, But that has sort of bailed the deal out because it hasn't lived up to um, the original operational projections. Um, and I think the costs per ounce, they are just, I think, perhaps let's say around 50% higher than what they were initially envisioned. But because the Palladium price went from 700 to over 2000, you know, it's, it's made the company look quite smart. I think there are less risky players within the PGM space that might not give you quite as much leverage in, if the basket price takes off but less operational risk. They're going into wage negotiations okay. now in the South African PGM space, and historically they've, they've had a, a bit of a um, yeah, tense <laughs> relationship with labor. <laughs> so they have a tendency to have protracted strikes compared to um, the other players in the sector. Yeah, I mean, get your, your, your blogs about how much you know the big boss made as compared to the average investor. I mean, worker so get ready for those uh, to be all over the media and sponsored obviously um we have a question here from fritz uh, who says hello Stockwatch. um i find that city lodge is very promising uh, they recently sold off a couple of the east african hotels to reduce operating leverage uh, while providing revenues occupancies are up you know um and you know this is obviously because of uh, post-covid openings and at a share price of around four rands is it far off its fair value um or you know you guys have differing thoughts here he wants to know if this is worth buying at these levels um nick yeah i think it's um it's cheap let's be honest um the bigger question that you've got uh, as you said uh uh, the the company has been sort of um, shoring up their balance sheet, etc. Um, so 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 getting rid of a little bit of um, a, a couple of operations. Number one, but number two, also operations that I think um, you know they perhaps needed to spend a bit more time on. Uh, and so it's a little bit more efficient not having those operations any longer. Um, so so I can understand that. I think my longer term sort of uh, worry around a company like City Lodge is that it's really aimed at your business sort of traveller. Uh, and, you know, post-COVID, yes, things are getting better. Yes, people are traveling for business again. Uh, the question is whether the demand is ever going to be at the levels it was in 2019 um, and or be increasing from there. Um, and with that sort of unknownst in the room, uh, I certainly don't mind playing a little bit of these sort of hotel and sort of opening up kind of trades. But I prefer to have something that, you know, shored up a little bit better against, uh, let's say, leisure um leisure spend uh, and not just necessarily the business the business sort of trend yeah i mean we, we've heard you know those type of arguments uh, where people said you know 
uh, corporates will never be the same again. I mean, it's going to be a flexible, you know, work model where it's two days at home and three days in the office. What people are back at work now. I think all the bosses are tired of Zoom. So I don't know, man. <laughs> Maybe people are going to go back to business travel again. Uh, if if that's you know happens, it's, it's this one's going to be an interesting one. Um, uh, Meryl, you have thoughts on City Lodge? I agree with the. I'm sort of in between both of you. I think that the, the, you could be right that business travel does recover. I just think it could take longer yeah. than, um, than, than people expect. Um, so, you know, the investor would have to be patient. I'm not that familiar with um, the, what City Lodge owns now, but I would caution anyone to just kind of look at the previous share price and say it's cheap now at four rand. Rather look at what is the earnings potential of the business now? Um, let's say if occupancies get back to that holy grail of 75% with the remaining assets, you know, what should those assets produce um, wow. in, in terms of earnings? Yeah. You said 75%, you know, I like, I had goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even hold the stock. That's, that's <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah, that, that, that was, you know, a good time for these guys. I mean, uh, we've got a question here from Andre who says, Hi, uh, what's the panel's view on Cup Agri at current prices? The price is quite low and they've been buying more fuel stations. Is it a good buy for three to five years? Thanks. Um, I'll start with you, Meryl. I actually don't follow Cup Agri, you know, in, in detail. I don't know if Nick's got a comment. Oh, that's fine. Uh, Nick, I know you do because you send me reports every morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Carp Agri, I think it's a great business. Uh, it is a small business. Um, I think it's got a solid management team. I think from a strategic perspective, they're doing some pretty interesting sort of things. Um, overall, I suppose in that space, it's quite a volatile sort of space um, in terms of um, just what your costs are going to be, but then also what you're selling your goods at, etc. Um, overall, uh, I do like it, however, at these sort of prices, and I do think it looks attractive. Okay, so you you bullish, um, so no change in thoughts there. Um, do you, do you follow Kibo Energy? It's I see it's an Irish company listed on the JSE. I, I'm keen to hear if anyone has thoughts on this one. <laughs> nope, uh, unfortunately. No thoughts. Yeah, unfortunately, Jonathan, uh, we don't follow Kibo Energy. Uh, we'll move um, uh, to Reposis. Uh, any insights on Reposis? It was due to release an announcement on the 15th, but missed the deadline and it's been 10 days and counting. So clearly uh, uh, there's something going on there, Meryl? Yeah, I think it's never a good sign when, um, when releases are missed, so approach with um, caution. caution. <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on, 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 on the assets maybe? Or should we just go straight to stock picks? I think it's easier. Okay. Okay, okay, Nick, your stock pick for the evening. My stock pick this evening, I think, listen, uh, I must say that starting off the day um, and feeling a little bit nervous as to what's going to be announced tomorrow and what sort of tone is coming out of Jerome Powell's mouth, um, I was tending to be quite conservative in my pick. Yeah. Um, having said that, after scouring the markets and seeing what's, what's, what's priced out there at the moment and what's priced in, um, I've decided to actually go for Mr. Price, so nice. a South African retailing darling. 
uh, as it were. I think strategically, you know what, I think they've got legs uh, almost irrespective of the macro environment in the South African context over the next couple of years. I really like the management team. I like the strategy. I like the way they're sort of going about their business. And ultimately, I don't think the stock is um, correctly priced for these sort of growth vectors to come through. Um, okay. And that's even in, as discussed, a really negative kind of macro backdrop. I think they do well and continue to take market share. So so net-net almost, um, you know, Almost through the cycle, I think this uh, this price is, uh, that this company's got upside. So you like the price of Mr. Price, um, Meryl? Um, today I am going for a hospital, so I am five pickers netcare. I think okay. ironically, a pandemic was a horrible time to own a hospital stock. Um, so much like your city lodge and occupancies, where seventy five is the holy grail. Pre-COVID, NetCare's occupancies at the hospitals was 66 to 67%. Yeah. Um, the last print was 56%. So there's still a lot of normalization to happen there. Um, you know, margins pre-COVID were in the mid-teens, kind of 15 to 16, and they're still single digit at this stage. So a big footprint, you know, large fixed cost base, fixed asset base, um, that needs operating leverage from recovering occupancies. And what you said about people going back to the office, well, that's when the bugs start to spread, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and so so what, what uh, the hospital groups really need is for all of us to come out of our immunity bubble a little bit. Um, and um, we've seen a recovery in surgeries, but not yet in kind of more of the medical cases. And that recovery is underway. So the last it printed earnings of 60 cents and pre-COVID earnings were between 120 and 170. So there's a big recovery um, still to come. Normalized, it's probably on a PE of 10. Oh, I think that's quite Interesting. Attractive. Yeah, no, this is a, a bullish story for people getting sick. I like that. So Netcare and Mr. Price, thank you very much. Uh, thanks to my guests, Nick Crail from FNB Wealth and Investments and Meryl Pick from All Mutual Investments. Do join Zinati for the Friday edition of Stockwatch. Send those questions during the day via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. The show is live at 19.30. Have a good evening and have a good weekend. Thank <laughs> you.